We have Joey's going to share a message on his heart tonight. Let's just welcome Joey as he comes up. Between uh, Michael and Chuck and testimonies, you know, all I should say is amen, let's go home. That's church in itself. I'm going to read something to you real quick. In what was hailed as a miracle, one Waterford teenager has reportedly survived in his home with no connection to the internet for almost six hours. <laughs> Answering to the name of David Gowan, the 16-year-old was found in a distressed state yesterday evening walking through his neighborhood, holding his Samsung Galaxy above his head, looking for a signal and muttering incoherently. The emergency services were notified and David was brought to a nearby Starbucks and hooked up to the Wi-Fi immediately. It remains unclear how this teen was left without internet for such a long period of time. And a search has begun to find David's parents with fear they have other kids without even one bar of coverage. David survived without access to any social media, video sharing sites for the better part of an afternoon, said an amazed member of Child Protective Services. No gifts, no memes. No incre no in it's incredible to see him in such good condition considering what he went through. The grown adults who can't even live without internet for that long, let alone God love him like that, even a teenager, he didn't even get to see the Star Wars trailer yet. David was not available for an interview with rumors circulating that the poor youngster had lost the ability to speak in anything other than normal English, having not used emojis for that long. We all have struggles, no matter how big or how small, I have a struggle that OU beat Texas, Brandon, that's for you. But no matter how big or how small our struggles are, they're real to you, right? It could be with Wi-Fi, it could be tired, it could be a loss, it could be anything. But whatever your struggle is, whatever it is that's challenging you, it's real to you. And it's at the top of your mind. It's what you wake up in the morning with, and it's what you go to sleep at night with. Your first thought is, your, is the thought that is occupying your struggle. And for some, I mean, yes, I mean, there's, there's a simplistic way to discuss it, but it's like you can, depending on how the depth of the struggle is to common man, you say, okay, where are you spiritually? But the struggles that we all go through, they do affect us. Um, this week, um, last Sunday, I don't know if you noticed, I kind of blew in here and blew out of here. Um, last Sunday morning at 2.30 in the morning, I got a call from my brother that my nephew overdosed on heroin. Um, I got a call. It was at 2.30. At 2.45, I was in the car, and at 52 minutes later, Annie and I were there to, to get there before um, the coroner got there so we could help my brother and sister. It was one of the most traumatic things that I've ever uh, had to be a part of, you know, it's not normal to see your 27-year-old nephew who grew up, you know, as you've known since the day he was born, come out in a body bag. It was a, it was a circumstance, it was a struggle that was really challenging. And that his struggle, as all our struggles, start with an idea of who you are. In Jeremiah, if you don't turn there, I'm just going to read it. In Jeremiah 1, 5, it says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. He's actually talking to Jeremiah, telling him he's going to be a prophet to the nations. So see, God has set our identity, and that's why I love what Michael said. He has set our identity, and our struggles don't define us. 
God defines us. See, God uses our struggles but doesn't cause them. He didn't kill my nephew. My nephew, not knowing who he was, his struggle overtook him. And he played with something that was deadly. Romans 8.28 says, I'm going to read it out of the mirror if I can. Meanwhile, we know that the love of God causes everything to mutually contribute to our advantage. His master plan is announced in our original identity. He predestined and engineered us from the start to be jointly fashioned in the same mold and image of his son according to the exact blueprint of his thought. We see the original and the intended pattern of our lives preserved in his son. He is the firstborn from the same womb that reveals our genesis. He confirms that that we are the invitation of God. We were born anew when he was raised from the dead. His resurrection co-reveals our common genesis as well as our redeemed innocence. No wonder then that he is not ashamed to call us brethren. We share the same origin. I'm in him. In him we live and move and have our being. We are as intend his offspring. If we believe we serve a good God, then we believe a good God loves us and is for us. But how can we see, how can we believe we believe that God is good if he gives us the very things that we struggle with? He gave us two trees in the garden, he gave us a choice. But if you think that God gives you cancer so you'll love him, I think you need to read, read your Bible. I think if you think that he causes a car wreck so that you might know him, I think you need to read, read your Bible. I think if he thinks that you lost your job because he wants to teach you something, I think you need to reread your Bible. Because the question I have is that if that was the God we serve, that to get to one person, he would ruin the lives of so many others and have people grow up without fathers and mothers to be fatherless and motherless if they lose a, lose a parent or a father or son that lose a, lose a son and the siblings grow up or a car wreck and three live and two die, that this is going to happen. If that's a loving God because he wants us to know him that way, then I think we need to revisit our theology. Because to sit there and think that our choices don't have anything to do with the outcome of our lives would be almost ludicrous to think that everything that happens to us, no matter what, is that's what God wanted. I don't believe that God wanted Joshua to die. I believe he wanted him to live. I believe he wanted him to know who he was as a son. And when he would know who he was as a son, it would allow him to fight off the very struggles that's trying to kill him. light message see our struggles are continuously pushing back on our identity see your identity is set and then life begins 
You were born with your identity set of who you are, your gifts, your callings, everything that God wanted to accomplish. Said, boom, Annie sits it right for me. Here's who I want you to be. Here's what I want you to do. This is how you, this is how you are. This is, your, this is your personality. This is everything. And then life begins. And she has to be fathered from an imperfect father, mothered from an imperfect mother. Outside influences are hitting my daughter, hitting your daughters, hitting you. And they're trying to push back on our identity. Then we make bad choices. A struggle comes our way. Whether it's addiction to heroin or pornography or sex or lying or cheating or adultery or affairs. Whatever it is that we're struggling with. It's something that's coming upon us and saying, that's not who you are. Let me be the loudest voice in your head to where you forget about who you are. And then we become victim to our struggle because we forget who we are. And it tears us down to the point to where you believe you're identified with your struggle more than you identify as a son or daughter of God. And when, when, the de- when the enemy gets to the point where you identify with your struggle more than you identify as a son of God, he's got you. And you keep playing the game. And the deeper you play that game of the struggle, the deeper you go down the rabbit hole. Before you know it, you can't even see light. This is a message that I want to get across to the body of Christ because it's so important to know who we are. Because if not, our struggles are going to overcome us. It's amazing, and I I said this last time I preached, but I want to say it again just in light of what I'm talking about, that you realize that more people change the way they think and change the way they live after funerals second to New Year's Eve. Because it's like, how am I going to live my life? What am I going to live my life for? Am I going to change my life? As a parent, are we going to change our life so our kids can live a better life? Now, I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about spiritually and mentally and emotionally. Forget the money. Well, i got to work hard. No, sow into your kids an emotional and spiritual and relational competence as a, as a son and daughter of God and watch them flourish beyond your wildest imaginations. It doesn't matter what school they go to. It matters who they're listening to. Because if they know who they're listening to, it doesn't matter what school they go into. They're going to change that school. The school's not going to change them. And when, these, when our kids walk into these schools and don't have any idea who they are, guess who's going to define them? The school's going to define them, and every kid in there is going to define who they are. The pushback on our identity is incredible. You've all heard this story before where a grandson looked at his grandfather and said, Grandfather, what do these two wolves represent? Y'all have heard this story, probably story once before. And he said, one, they represent two wolves inside of you, one of good and one of evil. And he said, Grandfather, who wins? Grandfather said, Grandson, the one you feed. The one you feed will win the battle. Are you feeding who you are as a son and daughter of God, or are you feeling, are you uh, feeding the one that is your struggle? Is your struggle addiction, or you keep feeding it? My nephew, for two and a half years, was clean of an eight-year addiction. Has a two-and-a-half-old little girl named Emma. Then he ran into somebody that was using and started using again. It's a game of Russian roulette, and the bottom line is in any of our struggles is to get you out of the game and into your identity before the, before the chamber turns. His chamber turned on Saturday, Sunday morning at 2.30 in the morning. 
And so the question is, where in your struggle, where, where is it are you in your struggle that, that that chamber's about to turn, you're about to break, and you don't have anybody in your life to talk to you about? That's why we have family and friends. That's why they're there to remind us of who we are. Because the people in this room who fight and pray for you and support you. I've used this analogy before. So, you know, I repeat myself a lot. If you've been here more than me, hearing me preach twice, you've heard probably the same message twice. And it's identity. Because I, I've been in this Christendom for 32 years, and the biggest challenge I have as a, as a Christian leader, as a minister of men, it's, it all comes down to one thing. The problem's not the problem. The problem is the identity. You want to know why there's so many different churches and why they're all screwing people up? Because they, they're not working on who they are. They're working on how I make you feel better. It's like going to a doctor and saying, I'm not going to cut the tumor out. I'm going to give you Novocaine. You're not going to feel it, but you're going to die. And that's what I don't want to see in the churches today. I want to see people go, let's go to the root and let's go get that out. And let's go get it and get it out and not numb it anymore with just great music and that you feel good and the Sunday schools are great, the children's church is great. It's about the relationship because I know in your darkest moment, it was your identity that set you free because it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And the freedom is knowing who we are as sons and daughters. The freedom does not come from knowing every Bible verse and memorizing. It comes from knowing who you are. And when you're stuck in that black hole of addiction or you're stuck in that black hole of lying or whatever it is you're stuck in, it is Jesus that will set you free. And it's when he comes into your heart and you know who, he is, who you are is when you can push back on the very struggle that's pushing against your identity. There's a village in East Africa. And I've shared this, so if you've heard it, just smile. And what they do when every child is born is they, the village surrounds the child and they, 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 now this is, they're not Christians, but it's just context of metaphor because this is what I want to see the church do. So don't, this is not, but they go around the child and they, they speak about the child of who this child is to the village. Gifts, what they see this child doing in the village and their role. And so they, they create a song, and then everyone in the village learns every child's life song. And so when the child is 8, 13, 18, 12, and they mess up, they're not walking in their identity, but they're actually walking in their struggle, and something happens. They don't discipline the child. They throw them up on a log in the middle of the village, and the child stands here on the log in front of the entire village, and the village sings their life song to them. And sings their identity right back into them. And what they see, they were created to do. And says, this is who you are. And they sing their life song. And in this life song, the child remembers who he or she is. And when you know who you are, you live accordingly. You don't have to have boundaries because what ends up happening is you know who you are. And whatever, when they're singing that life song and the village is singing their life song, the child comes alive and says, yes, this is why I was born. And when they know that, they can push back against the struggle. I'm not saying this is 100% foolproof because there's, guess what? People die. I learned that this last weekend. We pushed against his struggle. Oh, man. We, it did, I mean, financially, emotionally, spiritually, praying. We, for we, battled, we battled our community, our family battled for Joshua. 
And as we push back against this addiction, it was one of those sayings where it was like, Joshua, this is who you are. And when he, for his two, two and a half years of, of uh, sobriety, he had a little girl named Emma, and he got saved in that two and a half years. He got saved. He came, he came to know Christ. He was having Bible studies with my brother at work, um, studying the scriptures, wanting to know more. I mean, he just came alive. So, yes, there is, it ends well. I'll see him again. But in that struggle, even in Christ, we have our struggles. And so he was saved, born again, studying the word, growing. But the old identity creeped in. And he's succumbed to the temptation. See, even as saved Christians, we're going to have problems. Because, I, I, I mean, maybe I'm the only one that has problems in here. <laughs> maybe we don't have any issues in our life. But I will tell you this, at the end of the day, I want to know who's on my side. And I know one thing, I have God on my side and I have people on my side. Just a little side note, just as because of people, I'm going to talk about people. Stop disliking people over what you heard and be thankful God li still likes you over what he knows. See, we get in the body of Christ and we start judging people about their struggle. Well, at least I don't have that struggle. That just, you know, it's like, oh, well, I'm not addicted to heroin but I cheat, or I lie, or I'm addicted to this, or I treat people poorly, I have a bunch of pride. It's funny, as I get asked all the time about, you know, all sorts of things, and everybody wants to, when they ask me about my, my position as a leader of a church on a certain issue, it's the, only, it's the issue they don't deal with. They always want to ask me about an issue they don't deal with because they don't have to feel convicted to change. They can judge the very issue in which they don't deal with. Because if I disagree with their view on an issue they don't deal with, they leave the church. Forgetting about dealing with their issue inside the church. Is this helping anybody? See, people are not responsible for the outcome just to be part of the village. I wasn't responsible for the outcome of a lot of things in Josh, people in here that I've worked with, people that I've worked with, people that worked with me, no one's responsible for my, Jeff and Amory and Kelly and all the, they're not responsible for my outcome. Just to be a part of the village. See, last week when it happened, I, kind of, I uh, last week when it happened, I came back for church. This is where I wanted to be. I wanted to be with my people. I wanted to be with people that, I wanted to be before the Lord. I wanted to worship. I wanted to receive. So I sat out in my car till 5.20 when worship started. Not that I didn't want to, I don't like any, I like y'all. I just didn't want to talk to any of y'all. Just being honest. I had nothing to give you. I wanted to come and receive. Worship starts, I come blowing down the aisle. And it affected some people, like, oh, Joey, you know. Why didn't you say Hi. I blow down here, sit right here, and worship. And the people came and prayed for me, and I was receiving, because that's what I needed from the village at that time. I needed to receive. And it was the most refreshing thing to be ministered to by people that come and love you and just say, hey, you know, because the thing about it is, 
I told a couple guys at lunch the other day, I said, you know, we're not trying to build a church. We don't take church attendance. We don't care. What I know is God wants you to use your gift, and he wants to use your gift to pour in or take out from somebody else. I needed this day. And so I was receiving from all of you in my time. And what that does is keep me from going into a dark place. It keeps me from feeding the evil wolf that I'm susceptible to, whatever my challenges are. It feeds my spirit. It feeds the very wolf that overtakes and reminds me of who I am. I sat there and I had people, I can look at most of you that came down and prayed for me. And I didn't know what you were praying. But I know this, it wasn't reminding me of the evil wolf. It was reminding me of who I am as a son as a son, that I can get out of that dark place, that I can actually get, you know, be sad and be okay with being sad, that I can have the joy of the Lord and be sad, that I actually battle with grace how I was feeling and process it properly without going to that dark place. Is anybody, is anybody connecting with this? Because if you don't, when you're in those places, I, people tell me all the time, well, we were in a bad place, we didn't come to church. My wife and I were fighting, we didn't come to church. My son was acting up, we didn't come to church. It's like, that's when you come to church. Yeah. Because maybe you don't go to other churches. I'm not judging any other churches, but that's when I want you here. Because guess what? If you're too tired to come and I was here and suffering, maybe you had the key to unlock something I was dealing with. And so when you sit in front of your TV, not because we take attendance, but you sit in front of your TV because you wanted to watch the football game or you're tired, you know, so something happened. But someone needs the key to what you, someone has you, you have the key to unlock somebody. That's when you need to show up. Not because of, oh, I, I need to make sure if people see me. Not because we take church attendance, but because you might have the key to set somebody free to remind them of their son and sing their life song. And then you come one day and all you do is come down here and say, Lord, I hope someone has my life song. Because I don't feel like singing. I don't feel like talking. I just, I, I feel like being sad. And if I can feel sad here and people can come and fill me up, then my village is the place I want to be. So I go humping back from Austin from my brother's house to come to my village so y'all can sing my life song. Because there's times I that we sing your life song. But if you don't engage the village, no one knows your song. And it's not our responsibility to know your song. It's y'all's responsibility to find someone that you can tell them your song. I can't know everyone's song, but I can know some of them. But I know this, I sow into a lot of men and women that are ready to hear your song ready to hear where your struggles are, ready to hear what's battling you, to where they can push back and say, this is who you are. I know some, some, some of the people's songs in here, they've been here since, since the home church and since over there, and, and we just learn each other's songs so you know when, they're at, when they come in and go, what's, what's wrong here? Something's off. Why? Because I know you. See, when God told Jeremiah, I knew you, he actually knew you. He wasn't lying to Jeremiah. He wasn't. But you know how we do all these things. Hey, do you know John? Yeah, I know John. Now I've gotten the habit of saying, I know who he is, but I really don't know him. Because I'm lying. I, I know him? No. I know his name. I know maybe, maybe where he's from. He comes to this, I, but I don't know him. I correct myself all the time. I said, no, I know who he is, but I don't know him. You ask me about Anne Marie, I know her. I know almost everybody in this front row. 
I know, I know a lot of you. I'm just saying that's where I say I know because I've gotten to the point where I'm tired of playing church of, oh, yeah, I know them. No, do you know them? That's what I want. That's the village I'm looking for. That's the village that's the only way you're going to survive your identity crisis. When those things, when those thoughts, that's why I love, I don't even know if Michael's here anymore. If you are, raise your hand. Nope. But, oh, there you are, buddy. But when that, those thoughts are coming in, there's something besides just God, people pressing up against those thoughts. Because your life's more valuable here with us than it is dead. That God has a life that he wants to finish in you. And it's around the village singing your life song that you can go out there and get up here and worship and preach the gospel. That somewhere in your story, you gave life to somebody and sang a song that said, yes, you might be suicidal, but there's hope. There's a God that wants to free you from that bondage of suicide. Those are the things that bring life to me. Those are the things that I think is just so real. And I think one of the things that, that we get challenged with is that we don't want to speak up. And when Michael spoke up and said what he said, it's like, wow, preach it. I mean, almost like, don't give me the mic. Just keep preaching this. Because all he was talking about is the voices were pushing against who he was. He had the father saying, no, you're a son. And he had this, the, the evil wolf back there saying, you don't have value to anyone. And he stands here today and preaches the gospel. There are things that come in our life that we have to push back in. And sometimes things are too heavy in our life to push back alone. I like to look at myself and I, I suffer from high self-esteem. Um, <laughs> that I, I actually think I can be the strong, I'm the strongest guy I know. That I can bear a lot. You know, and my friends would tell me I can bear a lot. It's, I don't have a lot of gifts, but I can bear a lot of weight. You know, I don't, there's a lot of gifts that, that's why Amory and Kelly and Jeff, just these four, when we started the church, it was like, there were so many different gifts. I knew what mine were. But I also knew what Amory's were, when Kelly's were. And, and when we ever got into a struggle, man, pushing back on, our, when a struggle was pushing on our identity, man, you had three people pushing right back against, against that struggle. Some of my darkest times, I was, I was almost saved just a, by, by three people pushing back on my struggle. And it goes off, off four of us. Because there was times where you feel hopeless and you go, I can't, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be able to deal with this. This week was pretty rough. I was, in a, I was in a real bad place. But, I mean, some of the texts I got from people in this room and prayers and new people were praying and... Um, it, the grace was, I mean, I just felt covered. But I also felt people pushing back against things that would come against me. Anyway, when you think about it, you think about your responsibility. Did I do enough? Did I do this? You know, you can get into a hopelessness of sadness instead of processing through your sadness. I mean, Amory just the other night said, how are you processing all this? I said, I'm moving through it, not st staying here. Good, you know. Abby and Justin Stumball, same thing, called me. Danny and Sherry Silk, how's your heart? They called me and said, how's your heart? I said, it hurts, but it's moving. You know, so people, I mean, texts that I got from people, love you, love you, love you, and it's just like, hoo, 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 fill me up. Because that's what a village does. And everyone in here can find someone in this village that can actually do that. You can do that. It just takes courage to find someone and say, hey, I'm Joey, I don't know who you are. But I feel lonely here. I'd love to have some coffee with you. To, to, 
build that village. We don't have programs for that. The things that happen in our lives can't be rewritten, but they can be redeemed. The things that happen in our lives can't be rewritten, but they can be redeemed. See, Colossians 1, 22 says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, we always have hopes. So everything, that, every mistake we made, every, every problem that we had, it can't change. I can't bring Josh back, but we can redeem the moment. And maybe this is just one of the redeeming moments to tell you the story and give it to you to where all of a sudden 250 people can walk out of here with a different view on their struggle where people can push back with them. Because we can redeem these things. God can redeem all things. He makes all things new. And so we can take our struggles and come around and, and, and push back against them. If you're struggling with alcohol, he can push back against that. And people can help you push back against that if you want help. If you want to stay in it, the hole's going to get deeper. Just like Joshua's addiction, just like any addiction, porn addiction, anything you're doing. There's people that can help and push back against that if you want help and want to change and know who you are and start living out of your proper identity. I don't care how. That's why I started off with the 16-year-old without Wi-Fi. Hey, if that's your problem, man, as little as that is in the big scheme of things, and it's a problem to you, let's address it appropriately. You know, take you to a Starbucks, plug you in. Okay, you're good. The issue there is really, why can't you live without Wi-Fi for a few hours? You know, that's a big issue, but that's another story. Um, but you see my point. It's like when these things happen, we can't rewrite them. And so what, is he, what does the wolf want to do? The bad wolf, he wants to get you in condemnation. Oh, do you realize, and I've told this story on Father's Day, that like how many regrets I have in some of the things and how I raised my children at a younger age that I actually got all three of my kids on their bed. I think Annie was probably seven Travis was nine, and Joey was 13, and I repented to them, crying, that I'm sorry I was such a hard dad. You know, it's just like, whew. I couldn't rewrite it, but I sure could redeem it by humbling myself before my children. That's the only way I knew to redeem it, is to say, God, I'm so sorry I was this way. I only knew what I knew. I had no tools when I got when I got married and had children, I had zero father tools. My brother and I were laughing about that on the couch yesterday. I went up to Austin to see my brother again. And we go, we looked at each other and we went, negative tools of fatherhood. <laughs> and negative tools on being husbands. We could tell you how to party and be selfish and direct and type A and driven. We could tell you all about that. But couldn't tell you squat about being a husband or being a father. But guess what? We, could, we redeemed it. I've taught my daughter what to look for in a husband, I hope. I've taught my sons how to be better listeners, better be people that can understand and better husbands. I've taught them that, hey, my early years can't change, but I can redeem them in how I live my life toward you now. Humble yourself in front of your children, in front of your wife, or in front of your husband, and redo, because you can be redeemed and God can make it new. He says, he doesn't say I can make all things new because he can't. He says it because he can, but guess what? He does it, but he needs you to participate. He doesn't come in and, and zap them. That's the lazy theological view that's not even biblical. Oh, well, God, I'm just waiting on you to change them. Why don't start changing you? The decisions you make, which tree are you picking, life or death? 
What tree are you choosing? What wolf are you feeding? Start there. Don't sit idle. People ask me all the time, you know, because I, I, I have this uncanny sense that I don't have fear of man. So if someone's struggling with something, you know, there's some people that will sit down with them and have an eight-hour lunch and then finally ask the question. I sit down and say, what's your problem? Uh, okay. So you're a dude. You're 22. You're addicted to porn. Okay, let's talk about it. I'm not going to sit there and talk about sexuality for eight hours when I know the problem he has a porn addiction. It's funny how when you talk about porn, everyone gets quiet. <laughs> Sex, money, porn. We're going to talk about all that here. Because guess what? Sex and money, 80% of marriages fail out of sex and money. The other ones fail out of addiction and just whatever. <laughs> General sundry. But when we're sitting here talking about these things, I'm going to close here in a second. When we're here talking about these things, it's like, I want you to have hope that everything you've done can be redeemed. You are not defined by your struggle. God defines you. There is hope and freedom in whatever your struggle is or was to be redeemed. There's no guilt, condemnation. It's funny, as Jesus said, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. It's like, he doesn't condemn you. Find someone, like, that's why I love that quote that I, that I, that I gave. It said, stop disliking people over what you heard and be thankful. God still likes, likes you over what he knows. It's like, he knows you. And so what do you, if people have a view of anything about what you've done, Guess what? The best way to change it is live your life differently when they see a different you. And I'm not talking about putting on a mask and pretending. I'm talking about dealing with your stuff or going to somebody and say, I'm struggling. There's nothing worse than seeing people come in like, you know, like frozen zombies of acting Christendom. You know, marriages that are in trouble that come in holding hands. And, you know, it's just, it drives me nuts. Because why? You don't go into hospital and pretend you're not sick. I mean, how many of you have gone to the emergency room? What's wrong? Nothing. <laughs> I'm bored, and I want to come sit in the emergency room for a while and then have you check me out. Anybody do that? Okay, this is God's hospital. So we rush into here. What's wrong? Nothing. Perfect. Wife loves me. I love my wife. My kids are perfect. I don't know. I make too much money. I have all this thing together. I have no needs. How can I share this with all these lovely people that have all these pondering needs? Seriously, think about it. That's what we do when we walk into the church sometimes. We put on this facade that instead of coming and saying, you know, unzip. Here's, here's who I am. Now, unzip yourself only if you're ready to change. Because if you're not ready to change, you're just going to make a mess. You come in and just, blah, and this is me, my identity, week after week after week. I'm getting prayer for the same thing for eight months, but guess what? I've done nothing when I left here. You just make a mess. So you get into the game. You get into the process. You start making choices, and people encourage you in those choices. This walk is not a walk of just reading the scriptures and trying to act like them. It's actually being transformed from the inside out to where it becomes a part of you where you're not even thinking about how you're living, it's just live th flowing through you. And the only way that can happen is if some people are in your life to remind you to sing your life song.
When I double press, I get Siri sometimes. Here's, my, here's what I do know. When you, come, when you come out of a storm, you won't be the same person who walked in. That's what the storm's all about. You won't be the same person that, that you were. But here's the thing. You'll be worse off out of the storm if you don't deal with your identity because you're going to blame the storm and be a victim. But if you come out and see the joy, the goodness in it and what it did in you and that you were connected as a son and daughter inside the storm, regardless of the outcome, you can still experience the joy of the Lord to move on. But when we start being victims of our storm and then the next storm and victims, when you're a victim, you stay victim. And that's why the village is, is there to remind you that you're not a victim. It's funny, as I will tell you this, one of the biggest things that people get offended by in counseling is when you say you're acting like a victim. No, I'm not. What was that? <laughs> yeah, you're, <laughs> you're acting like a victim. And then you get another person around him. Well, you're acting like a victim. No, I'm not. Go to the next person. I don't like that person's counsel. You're acting like a victim. No, I'm not. Go to the next person. Rick Godwin, one of my pastors who I love to death, and he does some, uh, we got really close to him, and he preached this one message, and it's, taught, and it's just about that. It said, if three people call you a jackass, buy a saddle. <laughs> one of my favorite messages in the whole world, because it's the testimony of three witnesses, right? It's the testimony of three witnesses. If three people tell you something, it's true, unless they, need so they want something from you or they don't love you. But I, I mean, I, I got a room full of saddles in my life. But those saddles don't control me anymore. Those saddles are my victory. See, I, re, I preach from process and victory. I don't preach out of something that I'm not in process with or victory. I don't like messages that are just, hey, I'm going yeah, to show you the scriptures. It's like, no. What, see, when we, pre, when, we, when we preach, when people preach the gospel, it's the testimony of Jesus. And so when... When I, when I want to preach, I want to preach the testimony of what Jesus is doing in me and what he's done in me. The victory and the process. Because that's where the, that's where the anointing lies with each and every one of you. To share a verse about loving your wife as Christ loved the church and you don't love your wife as Christ loved the church, it's, it, I have to be really nice, I'm being recorded. But it's like ludicrous. So here's what I want to say to y'all, if I haven't already said enough. Find a, find a safe place to push back on the struggle as it pushes down on your identity. No matter what it is, there's nothing too big, there's nothing too small that God can't make all things new. And everyone in here is struggling with something. Hey, listen, I don't care if the biggest, the worst, you know, the easiest struggle is Wi-Fi. I'm, making a, I'm not making a joke, but here, and then on this end, it could be addiction or death, cancer, something, something real serious is your circumstance. And all the wolf wants to do is make you question, did God say, right? And if you are a son or a daughter, he wants to question your identity. And I want to push back on that tonight. I want to push back. So if you're struggling with something that you feel like, and listen, if you stand up, 
and I'm, I mean this sincerely, I'm not making a joke, but I'm just direct, if you haven't noticed. I want you to stand up if you're struggling with anything, okay? So if you stand up and only 10 people have, have the courage to stand up, not everyone's going to go, oh, he's, he or she's probably addicted to porn or this or that. No. If you are, I, I, I don't care whatever you're addicted to, stand up, not even addiction, but if you're struggling with anything in your life, stand up. Anything. And if you have no struggles, be prepared to minister. Seriously, I'm not kidding. If you have no struggles in your life right now and you're seated, stay there, and then I expect you to help me minister. Okay. Think about right now what your top two thoughts that are pushing against your identity. Your top two thoughts. Take those thoughts and think about what does God say about those thoughts? What is Jesus saying about those thoughts to you right now? No matter how painful the thought, what is he saying about those thoughts? Feed that wolf right now. Now, what would it take to believe those thoughts over the thoughts you stood up for? Because what I want each of you to do for homework is write that down. What is that thought? What did Jesus say? And what is it that he wants you to do to feed his thoughts, to put at bay that struggle? I'm not talking about that the struggle goes away. If you're sick, I mean, because there's different struggles. If you're sick, we're going to pray for healing. But if you're struggling with something, like an addiction or different things like that, it takes a process to walk through them. So hold your hands out before you. Father God, we just send every one of the thoughts that, that made these people stand up. We send them to you and say, Lord, speak the truth right now in their spirit. I, I, I just declare and I command your spirits to come alive and take a prominent position over your soul and over your mind and over your emotions that you may hear exactly what the Father is saying to you about those circumstances, about those struggles, that the, the, the channel is so clear because your spirit right now is at attention and fully alert to hear the Lord's voice into those circumstances that those lies would be silenced, that those addictions would go away in Jesus' name. If you are sick, I declare healing over your body in Jesus' name. And I say that these struggles will not be the loudest voice in your head, but the voice of the Father will be the loudest voice in your head, reminding you and shouting your life song, that people in this room will sing your life song, The people that you come in contact with sing your life song as you open yourself up to a village and a loving God that he actually uses people to get you to the point to where you know you are a son of God. Not just memorized you're a son of God, but actually walk fully in as being a son of God and daughter of God. That we're just not playing house, that your, your mind would be renewed because you have the mind of Christ. And I declare a renewed mind in Jesus' name. 
that the thoughts you had of old would now be the thoughts of new, and God makes all things new. And I pray for renewed new minds. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in here. May this not just be an exercise that we're doing, but an impartation. And not just an exercise that we feel good coming out of here, that we actually walk out of here transformed. That we actually can share with somebody in this room what those thoughts were that made you stand up and say, these were the two thoughts I had. Please pray for these. I declare an open and transparency, vulnerability to your loving Father and to the people you could trust. And I pray, Father, that, that today would be a day that you would never be the same. That the wolf will... <laughs> The wolf in your voice that made you stand up, you will not feed that one, but you will feed the eternal voice of the Heavenly Father that you'll never be the same again in Jesus' name. Amen.